Hi, how are you doing? It's 20 past four in the morning and you are asleep. Whereas I am walking through a country churchyard, listening to the very first notes of what will become the Dawn Chorus. sky is a mixture of grey cloud and a very pale opalescent. And I'm going to go on a little tour of the village as the birds wake up and mark the change from night to day. My name's Melissa Harrison and I'm a novelist and nature writer and I'm lucky enough to live in rural Suffolk where I can walk out of my cottage into woods and fields without passing another human being. So from now, through spring and summer and into autumn, I'm going to help you keep in touch with the natural world and the changing seasons. Welcome to episode five of The Stubborn Light of Things. to the east where the sun is going to rise. The sky is slowly becoming lighter, but it's still pretty dim out here. The birds are really starting to sing now. I'm always staggered by whenever I do manage to get up and listen to the dawn chorus. It's just how many layers of sound there are. And it's the same whether you live in a town or the countryside. There are so many more birds than you imagined. It's only when you hear them all singing at once that you realise it. There are birds close to you and birds a bit further away further again and further again and further again. You realise that the place where you live is populated by birds just as it's populated by humans. And that's a lovely thing to know and once you know it you can't unknow it.
in an hour's time, these birds will be going around their daily business. And some will sing, and some won't. But it won't be like this. good time for them to sing because the world's really quiet and we haven't started up with all our racket yet so their songs carry further if you've never got up and heard them I would urge you to do it this month May If you do decide, even if it's just standing on your front doorstep for 10 minutes, when your alarm goes off, you won't want to get up. It'll be dark and you'll be really tired and you'll think, I won't bother. But I promise you, if you do, it will lift your heart. And then you can go back to bed. That's allowed. Right, I'm going to carry on round the village. See who's singing where. and Shakers by Paul Farley. I'm networking my ass off in the sticks. I'm new, so need to put myself about. Sunrise, a good walk up the coffin path, where I meet the Wren, the Jay, the shy Dunnock, who are nice as pie. We swapped names and addresses and said we must do this again. Lunchtime on the riverbank, and I know I'll get noticed at this seat where the char's refracted gaze regards me. I can feel their big Atlantic connections, that muscle tone that sends the small fry to the reed beds as one man. I catch sight of the frog who eats here, can hear the bleeps and purrs of big business. I'm still on a different time. My body clock is tuned into the rhythms of the street, but I'm getting there. The afternoon wears on, and it's not that different from Soho or Fitzrovia. A bunch of swallows on expense accounts are still at it. The buzzard is back at work, setting a slower tone. The post-lunch fog, where everything winds down on warm thermals, and we move into evening, which is busy here as well. Tonight I'll dine among the trees, those big gossips, who'll whisper to each other and never let me in on anything.
I've just passed the village pub where I've woken up someone's dog. That was Movers and Shakers by Paul Farley. I've loved Paul's poems ever since I first became aware of him in 2011 when his prose work, Edgelands, came out, which he wrote with Michael Simmons Roberts. And pleasingly, there's going to be a Michael Simmons Roberts poem coming up in a future episode. I thought Movers and Shakers might resonate with those of you who are trying to get used to being at home instead of in the world of work. It's not easy to make that kind of change. But if, like me, this is the first time you've really been thwarted in life by factors out of your control, really, we're the lucky ones. The fact is, change is the only constant in life, and we need to learn to adapt to it. It was an illusion, really, that we were ever exempt Some changes, of course, are very welcome, as you'll hear from this week's guest, Amy Liptrot, who is the author of The Outrun, a beautiful, searing memoir of addiction and healing. Originally from Orkney, Amy now lives in West Yorkshire, from where she sent me this piece. Hi, it's the last day of April and I'm taking you on a walk into my local woods on the edge of Hebden Bridge in West Yorkshire. It's a native woodland running up a gorge, also with a lot of Victorian planted sycamore and beech trees and industrial remains, including the ruins of a watermill, which I'm just beside now. You can probably hear that stream and a grey wagtail just bounced up the stream. I've left my two-year-old at home today, but most days we come into these woods together, particularly at the moment, as his nursery has been closed for six weeks. I'm walking a bit more steadily on my feet today because I'm six months pregnant, and I've been thinking about how other people are reporting feeling a bit stuck during this lockdown period, But for me, because of the changes in my body, time is kind of carrying on relentlessly. A particular symptom of pregnancy for me is a heightened sense of smell. And whereas a lot of things like coffee and detergent are quite unpleasant, I quite like the smells in the woods. I thought I'd take you on a little smell tour of the woods Up there we have some wild garlic, which is particularly pungent. And I think I actually identified some human wee beside the footpath. And something that I particularly like that's around today and even more so yesterday was what's known as petrichor, which is the the smell that comes from the soil and the trees when there has been rain after a long period of of dryness, like there was a couple of nights ago. And I've actually been reading about how 
the petrichor smell comes during a time of state change in the trees. And it is actually good for us because there's bacteria in the air that's good for our gut health and our immune systems. So it kind of makes sense that it should be an attractive smell to me in pregnancy. Everything's heightened for me, not just by pregnancy, but by the pandemic. I've been finding that things are intensified and exaggerated for everyone. My friends who live by themselves feel more isolated. People like me who live with other people feel more crowded. And the shortcomings or privileges of where you live are exaggerated too. And I feel really lucky for having these woods at the end of my street that I've been exploring in more detail than I ever have before. Just up the stream there, I realised that there's a pool that, while it's not big enough to swim in, is deep enough to plunge my body into. So I've done that a few times. And the water which comes down off the hills is really bright and cold, and it smells like peat. Change in the natural world is really hard to understand. We lose sight very easily of how things used to be in previous generations. We find it very hard to really accept environmental degradation. It's due to something called shifting baselines, which means that we think that the nature that we grew up with as a child is the norm, rather than understanding that it had changed enormously since our parents' generation and again since our grandparents. Shifting baselines has a mixture in it of generational and personal amnesia. We forget all sorts of details from when we were younger, but more is lost between the generations. So then when it comes to restoring habitats, we see things as a big change that perhaps shouldn't be. There is something we can do about shifting baselines, though, if we're aware of them. And there are lots of projects going on to try and connect people to how things once were and perhaps could be again. Diaries like Gilbert White's can be really important as a record of the richness that there used to be in the natural world. I find them really comforting in their, what seems to me, their changelessness. But of course, they are a record of change. If you've fallen in love a bit with Gilbert White, his diaries are actually quite hard to get hold of. You can get hold of the natural history of Selborne, the book, um, quite easily. But the diaries are, are trickier. However, they have been lovingly put online by Sydney Padua, and you can find them at naturalhistoryofselborne.com. May the 4th, 1774. Asparagus in plenty. Orchard grass cut for the horses. 
May the 4th, 1776. Field crickets shrill. Snipes in the forest. The forest quite burnt up. Small reed sparrow sings. Young ring doves fledge. May the 4th, 1782. Vegetation is at a stand and Timothy the tortoise fast asleep. The trees are still naked. May the 4th, 1788. Shaded the best tulips from the vehemence of the sun. Polyanths are hurried out of bloom. Vine shoots are forward. Sowed the great annual frame with flower seeds. Sowed two hand glasses with cucumbers, green and white. Timothy wanders round the garden and strives to get out. He is shut up in the brew house to prevent an escape. May the 4th, 1789. Martins come into old nests. Bat out. Nightingale in my outlet. Snails come out. Well, excitingly, I've reached the village bottle bank, which is the site of many an exciting afternoon trip out when I need a break from writing. There's enough light now to see the colour on the fields of oilseed rape and to pick out the flowers in the hedgerows dandelion clocks and the cow parsley is really starting to come out now it's my favorite wildflower cow parsley the next few weeks are just a joy for me i'm just coming into a little wood Wild garlic is amazing. This time of year, it's all flowering, and there's a lot of it around here. I don't have a bluebell wood I can get to on foot, which is a bit heartbreaking, but I do have garlic. I've been writing a nature notebook in the Times for six years now. And in November, my columns will be collected together by Faber and published as The Stubborn Light of Things. Here is an extract from a column I wrote in early May 2018. By the time I saw my first swallow of the year, I was starting to become anxious. They weren't late by my old London standards, but I'd expected to see one in Suffolk several days before they'd normally appear over the smoke. I fitted a hirundine nest cup to the eaves of my rented cottage, and as the weather warmed, I scanned the skies. But no swallows appeared, and my friend Lucy Ingalls in the south of France tweeted to say that she hadn't seen any either. I began to worry about what might have happened to the tiny 18-gram birds on their 6,000-mile trip. And then, at last, there they were over the paddock, 
sleek, ebullient, and so instantly familiar it was as though they had never left our skies. Yet something in the intensity of the relief I felt at their return gave me pause. These are unsettled times, acute geopolitical tensions playing out against a backdrop of devastating environmental loss. Small wonder that we need the reassurance of the circling seasons and their natural markers like swallows. The question is, for how much longer can we keep expecting the natural world to bounce back? Many of the garden weeds in Suffolk differ from those in London, and in place of ugly annual mercury, my beds here are smothered in garlic mustard instead. I take comfort from the fact that it's a crucial food plant for the caterpillars of orange-tipped butterflies, so instead of pulling it all out, I'm leaving it to flourish here and there. I've also moved some nettles, great for several species of butterflies, to a sunny spot at the back of the garden, and I'm introducing to my lawns some smaller, nectar and pollen-rich wildflowers that more traditional gardeners might call weeds. When I go back and read those Times columns, I realise that they are a record of seismic change in my life. There's a continuity in the things that I'm noticing, but in the gaps between the columns, everything changed. And changing your personal life is so destabilising. But if you resist it for too long, it'll happen anyway, and in a way perhaps that you wouldn't have chosen. We have to change if we're going to grow. And we have to let other people change as well. Having said that, I want to go back to something I said earlier about how change is the only constant in life. And that we have to accept what's happening right now. I think that's bullshit, actually. What's happening, what we're living through, is huge and we didn't choose it. And it's frightening and uncomfortable. And whether we want the old world back or we want something new, none of us want things as they are right now. It's not okay. I think it's fine to really struggle with it. I think it's fine to be angry and miserable and not be able to concentrate and for everything to just be what it is for the time being. There's something as big as this. It's not so much about accepting change as just surviving it.
Can you hear how much the birds have quietened down? They're all starting to just go about their business as they do every day. It's properly light now. A new day's begun.